Good afternoon, everybody. We're so glad that you are here with us at church today. Uh, if you're watching online, we're so thankful and honored that you would spend this time with us. Can we get the pad off, please? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we started a series last week, and the series is called Doubt. And from that title, you can tell, obviously, that this sermon series is for anyone who is struggling with doubt. And the weird thing I was thinking about the series is it's really for people who are here and are watching that don't want to be here and that don't want to be watching, right? It's for people who you have doubt that actually has been leading you or making you feel like you kind of want to disengage or step, take a step back from faith and from church, from God. And it's weird because that's who I really want to talk to. And if you're in that place where you're like, I don't know why I'm here, I don't know why I'm watching, my mom is making me come here, my dad is making me come here, or my friend told me you gotta just check this out, I don't really know why, I don't really know what I, I need to know, but if that's you, I'm so thankful that you, you are here and you are joining us for this series. In this series, we're trying to learn how to navigate doubt, and that's really key, that the goal of the series is not to resolve your doubt, and the, the, the goal of the series is not to deal with all the different issues that you might have, questions and things that you don't understand, and, you know, systematically go through and check them, out, check them off. That's not what we're doing here. What we're doing is we're learning how to navigate and address and deal with doubt in a way that will lead to deeper, richer faith, rather than leading you to walk away or disconnect or disengage. And so we, we're trying to do that. And so last week, what we tried to do is we tried to reframe doubt as ne not necessarily something bad. That doubt is actually something that is potentially good. Uh, the doubt can, can, the doubt is not necessarily toxic or harmful to faith, but doubt actually can be an opportunity or a catalyst to greater understanding, greater knowledge, and most importantly, greater trust. And we saw it because of, because of how Jesus responded to someone named John the Baptist and his doubt. And the way Jesus responded to that is also the same way Jesus responds to your doubts and your questions as well. And one of the key points of last week's message that I just want to repeat today is that if you have doubts, if you have questions, if you're not so sure about this Bible, God, Christian thing, you and your doubts are welcome here in this church. You and your doubts are welcome in this place. You and your doubts are welcome, and we would love to have conversations with you to talk through the things and issues that you may have had recently or maybe for a really long time, the things that you just really can't get over. Um, so I told you last week that I wasn't sure if this was going to be a two-parter or a three-parter, and I know you were very worried and you were very nervous about it, and turns out it's a three-parter, okay? So this is kind of a, a short mini-series. Uh, next week we're going to conclude, and Pastor Jonathan is going to land, this, this, land the plane of this series next week. I'll talk to you guys a little bit at the end of what he's going to be talking about, and I think it's going to be really, really helpful for anyone who is in that specific place. So with that, uh, I want to invite you guys to, to pray with me as we get into today's message. Holy Spirit, I thank you so much for that song selection at the end, just reminding me that the foundation and the, the cornerstone and the most important piece of this moment right now is not me, it's you. That the most important person that needs to be in this room is you, is the Holy Spirit. And so I know you're here, you've promised it to us. But I pray that all of us will also be present in this moment as well, because we may touch on things that could really be a game changer for some people here and could bring a lot of freedom. So 
Um, God, I pray that you would help us to be attuned to you and to your words and, and, and the thoughts that, that we feel and the things that we think in response to your message today. Father, just move powerfully through this place and deal with us in our doubts, in our questions, and in our issues. Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, so this last Tuesday, I was at one of our small groups. On Tuesday, um, uh, I go one of the Happy Valley groups, and, and it's a great group, great small group. And uh, when we're, one of the things we always do during small group is we share prayer requests. And so at the end, one of the things that we've been praying for is, is one of our friends, Tamarsh. And he's been praying for, like, neck pain that he uh, has because of, his, uh, because of working out and lifting weights. And so this, this prayer request came a while ago, and uh, we've been praying for it. And then we, we asked him, you know, well, let's follow up. Hey, how's your neck? Da, da, da. And he was saying, you know, my neck is, like, is pretty good. Like, it feels good now. So I'm going to start going back to the gym. And then one of our members of our small group who will remain nameless, who loves to tell jokes and say jokes, uh, Dan was like, (laughs) he said, why would you go back to the gym to the place that you sustained injury? Why are you going back there? Right? And they were all like having a good laugh. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, that's funny. So after small group was done, I went to the gym. It was always my plan. I went to the gym, and I went, I benched, and I hurt myself. I was pushing too hard, too fast, or something, and I got that pain. And and some of you know it. I I pushed. It was a little too much, and it was always the last one. You know, it's always the last one. You're like, I can do it. And then you feel this shooting pain in your neck. And that's what happened. And then I got up and I was like, oh, something's not right. And then I went on to the next workout and I proceeded to, to lift again. Not really, this is my body. Uh, and then I knew like something was wrong. Something was uncomfortable. And I got home and I, I, was, like, I was like a robot. You know, I couldn't like, I couldn't turn my head to the left. So I'm like, hey, Trace, how's it going, right? I've been walking around like this. I went to sleep. I woke up many times at night because I like moved and then I had shooting pain in my neck. In the morning was just terrible. I just felt like I could not move. I couldn't look down. Um, and so, like, it was really bad. Uh, that was Tuesday. Tuesday goes, goes by. Wednesday goes by. And I start feeling a little better. Thursday morning comes by. And I'm like, oh, like, it's pretty good now. Right? So I have the genius idea to go to the gym on Thursday. And I go, it's going to be fine. Because I'm not doing the same workout. I'm not benching. I'm doing a completely different muscle group. So I go to the gym, and I pick, up a, um, I pick up a barbell, and I'm about to do some curls, bicep curls. Bicep curls is this, guys, All right, in case you didn't know. I do one, and I go, Hoo! and then boom, it comes back again, right in the same exact spot, more painful than ever. And then I was like, oh, no. So I put it back, and then I went home. I went to the gym, and I did one rep. And then I stopped and I went home. Because I was like, this is a really, really bad idea. It's like my body is like screaming at me because I've never had this problem before. But also, I've never been 39 before. And my body's telling me, Chris, you're not in your 20s anymore. You need to calm down. You can't do this kind of stuff anymore. So I, I got home and it was bad. And same thing, you know, yesterday I woke up in a lot of pain and it was really rough. But today I feel good. Today feels not bad. So I might hit the gym tonight. Who knows? I might. But, you know, what's interesting is that, um, I don't know if you've heard this metaphor before, but a lot of people have said faith is like a muscle, 
Faith is like a muscle. And in order for muscles to grow and get stronger, it requires what? Tension and resistance. If you want to build muscle, if you want to build strength, you must experience tension and resistance. And you have to work your muscle in order for it to grow stronger. Now, in my case, I was injured because I improperly handled the weight. The, the weight that would normally help me to build muscle and be stronger, because I improperly handled the weight, it led to injury. See, with faith, it's the same thing. Faith is like a muscle. And doubt is the resistant and resistance and tension that can lead to strength and growth in your faith. But doubt can also injure your faith as well, as you probably know and have has seen in your life or in other people's lives. But what's the difference? What's, what's the reason why the thing that can bring growth can also bring injury? What makes the difference? It's how you handle it that makes the difference. The difference between growth and strength and injury and pain is how you approach doubt. And so today, what we want to talk about is we want to get right into it to talk about how do we handle doubt. Doubt is going to come for everyone. Everyone will have questions and doubts one day. It's not a matter of if, it's when. But the question is, how will you handle it? How will you approach it? How are you going to deal with it? And the way you do that can, can lead to growth and strength or it can learn, lead to injury. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to keep it real simple. There's three things that I want you guys to do Think about when you experience doubts, when you have those questions that come up, you watch a YouTube video, someone sends you a, a link, you, you watch an Instagram reel or something, or you go to school and a teacher talks about something that you never heard before, you listen to a podcast, and, or something just happens in your life, you know, tragedy strikes or something unfortunate happens to you or someone around you, and you begin having those questions and they're very unsettling. And you feel uncomfortable and you're not really sure what to do, if you're in that moment, here, I want to teach you, I want to, want to look at the Word of God to learn how we are to respond to doubts and questions. So, the first thing, the first thing that we want to do, and you have probably heard this before, and, and maybe it's kind of like cliche to some of you guys, but the first thing I want you to do, and we're going to talk about why, when you have these doubts and your questions, is number one, doubt your doubts. Can we all say it together? Doubt your doubts. The first thing I want you guys to think about is when you have doubts and questions, doubt your doubts. The Apostle Paul uh, was, was the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. He's, he's kind of like the father of our theology, like a lot of what we believe comes from him. And the other thing that the Apostle Paul did in his ministry is he started churches. Um, scholars believe he started at minimum 14 churches, possibly 20 or more than 20 churches. So that's like a big deal. That's a lot of stuff, right? One of the churches that he started was a church in a place called Corinth. And you could imagine that when he began the church, like, probably there was a lot of energy, a lot of love. Like, the people loved him. They're like, Paul knows what he's doing. He's speaking all these truths. It's so wonderful. Um, and as the church began to build and grow, um, Paul left that church and started another church in a different place. And while he was gone doing God's work in a different location, these other, like, leaders came in and started, like, bringing up issues and questions. And one of the things they did often is they questioned the Apostle Paul. And they questioned who he was. They questioned his character. So it's like the Corinthian church is like Paul's baby, right? He, like, grew this church. And it was all great. And then all of a sudden, they're like, yeah, why does he do that? Why did he say 
And then this other leader would come in and say, I heard that Paul, da 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 da. And they're like, oh, really? I can't believe Paul would do that. And so word gets to Paul that there's people who are questioning and doubting who he is. And the reason why this is a big problem for Paul is because as you, when you doubt Paul, what comes next is that you begin to doubt Paul's message. And so Paul is not worried about his reputation. He doesn't care if like, people don't like him. That's not his concern. But he's worried that if people doubt his calling as an apostle, if they doubt his character, they will then doubt his message about Jesus. So he writes a letter to talk to them and address this issue. And so the situation is people are questioning his motives. They're saying he's a con artist. They're saying he, he's, 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 a, he, he's a, a bad person, that he's like trying to take your money, that he can't be trusted, and all that kind of stuff. So people are starting to believe this. So he writes a letter in response. And, and one of the things he says, and I think this is really smart, as he deals with the doubts that people have about him, they were talking about doubts, is he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. He says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take, this is the important part, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I want you to focus on the last part. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, if there are doubts that come to you, don't just accept them, Take them captive. Grab a hold of them. Take a moment to think and analyze and consider and, and think about the truth and think about the reasons. Don't just accept it because it's doubt. You know, we, essentially what he's saying here in 2 Corinthians 10.5 is, like we said, doubt your doubts. You have doubts about me, but let's take a moment and think about why you have doubts about me. Let's not just unquestionably accept these accusations against me, Let's think through this. I want you to take a moment to doubt your doubts. And this is really, really important for us right now, especially in our time, in our, in our part of the world. Right? This is really, really important that we begin here because I don't know if you guys feel it and sense it too, but I feel like we live in a, a time, a place, in a culture where doubt is seen as smart, intelligent, sophisticated, and wise. Doubt and skepticism is seen as smart and intelligent, and belief and faith and trust is seen as what? Primitive, childish, old-fashioned. It's for like the little grannies in the church, not for educated, smart, modern people like us. I feel like that's the, that's the narrative, like that's kind of the sense, that's how people view faith, trust, and belief in comparison to doubt and skepticism. Doubt is smart, so if you doubt, then you are smart. If you believe and trust and have faith, you're less smart. Like, that's the messaging that we live in in this world. And I, I think, like, maybe you've never thought about it, but I think if you just take 10 minutes to think about that, you'll see that that's really the, 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 the idea in our world today, that intelligence is equated with doubt and skepticism. And so in a situation that we, are, we find ourselves in as Christians living in this world and in this time, we are bombarded with this message that if you want to be smart, you better start doubting, and you better start asking questions, and you start, better start being skeptical. Now, at the same time, I have to admit, there are time and places to go through this. There's a time and place to ask questions and think critically and analyze and wonder and doubt. Absolutely, there are times that are important to do that. 
The message of our world and our secular society today is doubt your beliefs and believe your doubts. Doubt your beliefs and believe your doubts. And there is a time and place where that's healthy, where that's important, that will take you kind of to the next level of faith, and that's why we're talking about this. And so there are times where you need to doubt your beliefs and believe your doubts. But there's also a time and place to doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. There's a time and place to trust in what you know rather than the doubts that come up all around you because of a video you saw on YouTube or on Instagram, because of a, a thing that a teacher, a professor, someone said to you. There's a time and place to doubt your beliefs, but there's a time and place also to doubt your doubts. And we live in this world. We live in that place. Like, that's the air we breathe in 2022. Doubt is the air we breathe. Doubt is the water we drink living in the Western world. If you want to be smart, you got to be skeptical, and you got to doubt. If you're going to believe and trust, then you're childish. I remember I had a professor in seminary. He's an archaeologist. He's the archaeology professor, and he had a great class. And he was telling me that he's a part of a uh, you know, society of archaeologists. And he says when he goes there, almost all the archaeologists, biblical archaeologists, are not Bible-believing or believing Christians. They're just archaeologists. And he would have conversations with them, and then when they would find out that not only is he an archaeologist and a biblical archaeologist, but he believes in the Bible and believes in God, they like treat him like, oh, that's cute. That's cute. That's nice. Like, wow, I can't believe there's someone that actually thinks that. That's how faith and belief is seen in our world today. It's cute. It's nice that you kind of hold on to that, but, you know, eventually you're going to grow out of it. If you mature enough, you'll grow out of faith and belief, and you will become mature in doubt and question. And so it's important that we understand that in there, there are moments where a doubt may come, and, and I struggle with this, guys, because I live here, I'm in this world too, I, like, I feel it too, that when a doubt comes into my mind, and then it, it, it is in, in setting itself, as, as Paul says, setting itself up against God, and I look at the doubt and the truth, I tend to wonder and lean towards the doubt. I don't know if you're like me. You hear the doubt, and you're like, that's a good question. I've never really thought about that. Hmm. And I, I tend to give favor to the doubt. And by the way, this idea that doubt is smart and intelligent and faith and belief is immature and childish is not a scientifically objectable, provable fact. It's a cultural bias. Let's understand. This is a cultural bias against faith. And we live in that constantly. And so for me, it's, it's easy when doubt comes to choose doubt over faith. To choose the thing that I don't know over the thing that I, I do know. There are times where I said, I don't know if I believe this. And then there's another part of me, right? And, and that's kind of what doubt is like, tension, right? One part of you is like, oh, that's, I've always wondered that, and I don't know about that. But then there's another part of you is like, no, but I believe this. Why choose doubt over belief? Why? Why assume that doubt is true and truth is not? It's not because there are greater arguments or greater reasons a lot of times. It's because we live in a world where doubt and skepticism, where it has its time and place, is honored and valued far above faith and trust and belief. So it's important that as we deal with doubt and talk about the doubts we have, we have to understand the context that we live in, that we do not live in a neutral space. 
We don't live in a neutral space. So the Apostle Paul challenges us to do what? He says, doubt your doubts. Question, where does it come from? Why do I feel this way about the doubt? See, a lot of us, we take the doubt and we don't take it captive. We set it up as master. But Paul's saying, take a moment. Think about this. Think about what this is saying. Think about where this is coming from. Think about why I lean towards this. Doubt your doubts. You know, we, as people of faith, as Christians and believers, if you, if you consider yourself one, there's something so special and beautiful about our faith. It's that we don't have to live in, in a world that we don't have to navigate life in kind of the fog and the shadows. You know, we, as, as if you're a believer, you consider yourself a believer, we have a North Star. We have a guiding light, and that's special, and that's awesome, and that's amazing. We have a North Star that can guide us, and the North Star's name is Jesus. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is, if there is something that you hear, a truth, an idea, a concept that sets itself up against God or sets itself up against your beliefs in faith, what I want you to do is I want you to take that and bring it to your guiding light. Take it to your North Star. Take it to Jesus and consider this in light of Jesus, in light of the filter and the paradigm that is Jesus Christ. So this new truth, this new idea, this question, I have to grab a hold of it. Don't put it in charge yet. Bring it to Jesus and see where Jesus takes it. And there are times where Jesus will take that doubt and he'll use it to increase and grow your faith. And there are times where Jesus will also reveal the deception and the lies behind that doubt. So here's a question. Do you feel like you are smart enough, wise enough to, to discern the difference in any question or doubt? I'm not. So I got to take it to Jesus. And, here, and here's the practical advice. And this is like, again, from another small group. Um, this is like such amazing advice that I know I'm going to use it. And like, this is so good. It's so simple, but it's so good, especially for your parents. So this is a situation like if your children or a friend or someone comes to you with a question about the Bible, with a question about theology, with a question about their struggles and their issues with faith. When they come to you and say, Mom, Dad, how come this? How come that? I don't understand. Why is this? Why is that? You say to them, don't ask me. Go ask Jesus. Right? When I first heard that advice, I laughed about it. Like, <laughs> that's ridiculous. And then I thought about it. And there's so much truth and power behind that. Like, don't come to me. I am not your spiritual authority. I'm just a person. I'm just your dad. I don't know. I mean, I have ideas, but it's better for you to take the question to your heavenly father and work it out with him. Like, there is something powerful about that idea that I think is so good. Like, you can't, don't depend on me to figure out everything for you. Take it to the Lord and ask God to help you figure it out. And then come back and tell me. Like that's how you, that's how you can, can, can take captive every thought and make it subject to Christ. Bring your doubts, bring your questions to him. Now, the argument that some of you guys may have right now, the argument you may have is like, well, okay, Chris, if you do that, that's not really a fair, you know, a, a fair dealing with all the questions and issues. Because what you're saying is, Go to people who have faith and ask them your doubts and bring your doubts to God or the Bible. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. If you do that, that's not really fair because those people have a bias. 
Right? If, you, if you go and, and, and deal with your doubts and questions this way, you're not stepping out, you're not inviting new information, new ideas, you're not really being open-minded, you're kind of creating an, open, an echo chamber to kind of like listen to things that agree with what you already believe. Like That's not, that's not really a great, wise way to deal with this, this kind of thing. And I understand where the argument and kind of the pushback is coming from. But the first thing I want you to say is, number one, that's not true. If you go to God... God will not always agree with you. Let me say that again. Going to God with questions, issues, and and challenges and stuff, God will not always agree with you. In fact, God should not always agree with you. If God always agrees with you, there is a big problem. If you go to God and you have this thing, and you think this is right, but someone asks you, maybe this is right, and you go to God, and God is always like, actually, you're the right one, they're wrong, you have a problem. That is not faith. That is not approaching God in faith. So number one, I don't think that just because you bring your questions, issues to God, God is always going to just agree with you and be a part of this echo chamber. Absolutely not. Number two, I understand where this argument is coming from, but the truth is, that yes, if you go to people of faith, if you go to church, if you go to me, and you ask these questions, there is a bias. If you go to people of faith, there is a bias towards faith. I want you to maintain faith. I want you to grow in faith. Absolutely, that's absolutely true. If you go to your parents, they probably want that as well. So yes, we gotta admit, there is a bias here. But are you telling me that the world that we live in, the secular world that we live in, that sets doubt up as, as valuable and, and, and faith and belief as less valuable, are you telling me that world, that culture, has no bias? Are you telling me that if you go onto YouTube or you go onto Netflix or you go on to watch shows, that there's no bias against faith in all that you ex- expose yourself to? As you go to Instagram and social media, as you read articles, are you telling me that it's completely unbiased? Absolutely not. So here's the thing. Yes, if you go to church and you go to people of faith and ask them the questions, there is a bias. But the other 100 plus waking hours of a single week, you are living in a place where there is the opposite bias. You know what I'm saying? So if anything, to go to someone of faith is even barely, probably not even leveling the playing field. So I don't think it's an unfair thing to go to people of faith to deal with your faith questions. I don't think it's an unfair or a, a unwise thing to go to, to God and to go to your Heavenly Father and go to spiritual people that you trust to deal with questions of faith and doubt. I don't think so. Because we live in the world today that is leaned heavily, bent heavily against faith and belief and trust. So that's why I think the first thing that we got to do as we deal with our doubt is take that moment to doubt our doubts. The second is to grow trust. And this is what we talked about last week. And the fact that even for me, as I wrote the message last week, you know, we concluded the sermon, last week's sermon with all the stuff about doubt, and in the end it's like, you gotta grow in trust. At the end of the day, you gotta grow in trust. There are some of you, including part of myself, that's like, I don't really like ending the sermon like that. Right, like you say all this stuff, and at the end it's kind of a letdown, like, okay, so just trust, so just believe, is that what you're saying? Like there's something in us that's like, I need something more than just simply trust. And I think that's just a great example of the fact that we live in the world that sets up 
doubt and skepticism much higher than faith and belief. But this is so key because let's go back to that uh, story that we looked at last week, Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist has doubts. He has issues. He has questions. And he goes to, God, or goes to Jesus and he sends his message. He says, what's going on? Are you the Messiah? Should we expect someone else? Listen to Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 11, verse 4 and 5. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He says, when you're in this place of doubt, John, what I want you to do is I want you to hear and I want you to see. In place of doubt, you must hear and you must see what God is doing. And then he lists all the stuff that he's doing. When we are in a place of doubt, when you are in a place of questions, as we seek to grow trust, faith and trust is built on what you hear and see. What you hear from God in your devotions, in your personal time with him, in the word of God, the way he speaks into your life in real time, in real ways, that builds trust, that builds faith. So if you are having doubts, you need to learn to grow trust by hearing and seeing what God is doing in your life. And you do that by going into the word, number one, by spending time with him in the Bible, and number two, remembering, hearing stories of how God is moving in other people's lives as well. Here's the thing. If you have doubt and you have questions and it's eating you up, but you do not spend time with God, you have to question the validity of those doubts. If you are not in a relationship with Jesus and you have doubts, you better push the brakes on those doubts. And think about where these doubts are coming from. Are these doubts objectively true or is it really coming from a distant relationship that I have with God? You have to hear and see. And this is why community is so important. This is why I think the best place to deal with doubt and questions with faith and spirituality is in a loving spiritual community like a church, like a small group, because that's the best environment to struggle with these things. And this is why like small groups are so important, because in small group, we talk about how we're seeing God. We talk about how we're struggling with things. We talk about how God is moving in, in my life in this way and in my family's way. Or I have a friend who did this. And those things build trust. Because as you deal with doubt, you need to build trust. You need to build trust. We have a great opportunity for that, actually, for, for, for us to hear what God is doing and, and hear how God has moved. And in a couple weeks, um, so um, our bass player, Isaiah, on August 6th, he's going to come and share his testimony with us in a couple weeks. And if you guys haven't heard his story, I'll give you a quick little preview. You know, Isaiah was kind of like in his younger years, he was a part of like the rock and roll world. He was like in a band that toured internationally. And in that place, living the life of a rock star, God called him out of it. God moved on his heart and changed his life. And like hearing those stories helps you to see that, oh, God is real. God is moving and God is powerful. And so I want to encourage you guys definitely come back for that in a couple weeks as he shares his story with you. But that's how we build trust. That's how we grow trust as we deal with doubt. And it's so important, and this is like really, really important for this message, that we understand the role of trust when you deal with your doubts and your questions. That we understand the role of trust as we deal with our doubts and questions. Because when we have doubts and questions, when you have doubts and questions, what you are looking for, what I'm looking for is what? We're looking for answers. Isn't that right? When you have doubts and when you have questions, you want answers. You want the, to, the answer to the question that you have. 
But here's the problem, and I gotta be honest. I want us to be honest with ourselves right now. In truth, we are not looking for answers, okay? When we have doubts, when we have questions, we aren't really looking for answers. We are looking for answers that satisfy us. When we have doubts and questions, we're not really looking for the answer. We're looking for the answer that I like. We're looking for the answer that fits my perspectives and my paradigms and what I've believed in the past. We're looking for answers that make me right. We're not looking for answers. We're looking for answers that satisfy us, that make sense to us, that work for us, that are convenient for us. That's a completely different thing. There is a completely different thing between looking for the answer and looking for an answer that satisfies me. And in the past two, three years, you guys have seen this. You guys have seen how people aren't really interested in answers and truth. They're really interested in answers and truth that fit them, that they like, and satisfy them. So with that in mind, if that's how we are as human beings, and let's be honest, that's how we are. If that's the case, if that's true that we are often looking for answers that, that work for me, it's possible that as I struggle and deal with the doubt and the question in my mind, that the answer has come through, but I ignored it because it didn't satisfy me. It is very possible for that to happen. With that in mind, it is so important then for us to elevate the value of trust in our struggles with doubt. Add to that the fact that there are probably unanswerable, unverifiable questions in the universe. If you throw that into the mix, then we have to understand that trust is always needing to play a role in our struggle with doubt. You cannot approach your doubt and question saying, I'm completely unbiased, rational, I'm just going to use my mind, I'm just going to use my brain. It doesn't work like that because that's not how we are because we're messed up and we're broken and we have issues and we're selfish. In light of that, it's so important that we understand that we have to grow trust in order to handle doubt in a way that will lead to deeper and greater faith. In my own struggles, with doubt, like in my journey, like I've had seasons of doubt where I doubted different things. Like there was, there was a time where I struggled with prayer and I struggled with intercessory prayer. And some of you guys may struggle with that. Like how does prayer work? Why do I pray? Why do I want to do this? Should I really ask for that? I've struggled with prayer. I've struggled with um, like pain and suffering in the world. You know, how can this happen to those people? How can there be a loving God? All that stuff. I've had so many like bouts with doubt. Uh, there, there was a time in college where I struggled with the Trinity. Like, I could not understand that. I couldn't wrap my head around the Trinity. And I remember I was in college. I was uh, my freshman year at UC San Diego. I was in my dorm room. I was, like, reading my Bible, trying to figure this out, trying to understand the Trinity. And I'm like, I don't get it. I don't know if they're all God. How can they be three in one? And I began to, like, I began in this moment. I was, like, 19 years old, kind of like, okay, who is Jesus then? What is Jesus then? Why is Jesus, right? I was, like, so confused. And then I like had a moment, and I was like, man, should I become Jewish, you know? Right, like, I don't know, Jesus, should I become Muslim? Like, maybe I need to go to the student association and learn a little bit because I don't really get it. I don't really understand. And, like, I struggle with it. And in, in my journey with struggle, in my journey with doubt and stuff like this, this, I don't know, this may be helpful for some of you. For some of you, this may not work. Have you guys heard of this thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect? The Dunning-Kruger effect is kind of this like 
sociological, psychological effect, where basically it says, and this is a very simplified version of it, is the less you know about something, the more you think you know about something. And then the more you know about something, the more you realize you don't know that much. Does that make sense? Again, oversimplification, but basically, like, if you don't know much about something, you often are very overconfident about what you know about the thing. And so if you don't know that much, you'll be like, yeah, this is true. That's for sure, 100%. But actually, the people who are experts in those fields and actually know a lot, they're the ones who are like, well, there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot that we don't understand. Like, I know we know this much, but there's this much that we, we don't get. Like this, I've seen this functioning and being very real in my journey with, with doubt and struggle. Because this is what happens for me oftentimes. Especially when you deal with questions that are like kind of unanswerable. I begin by having this question and have this doubt and I don't understand. And it bothers me and it eats me up inside. Like how can this work? This doesn't make sense. How can the Bible say this? And how can I see this? And how can I explain it? So irreconcilable, right? And that's like, and, it, and it, I struggle with it. So then I go to the Bible. I go to, the, I go to commentaries. I go to online articles, I do watch YouTube videos and struggle and, and look it up and read all these things. And what happens more often than not is at the end of all that struggle, of all that research, of all that praying and all that talking to people and, and having conversations, at the end of the day, I go full circle and at the end of the day, after everything, I still have no answer. But the difference is, is that when I began, I knew very little, so it bothered me. But now that I've gone through the process, I come back and I again realize I have no answer. But now I accept it and I'm okay. Why? Because I've learned so much more about it. I understand, wow, there is so much here that it makes sense that I wouldn't really understand everything. So now I'm okay with it. Does that make sense? Like that's my journey so many times that I'll, I'll, I'll just end back at the same place that I started, but something has changed inside of me and I can accept it and I have peace. See, for me, what happens oftentimes is the shift happens for me in my life from doubt to mystery. Like one thing that I doubt and have question about and I struggle with and I don't like it, I go through the process and I accept the fact that at the end of the day, this is just a mystery. And I'm okay with that. And that works for me in a lot of areas of my life. And so if you ask me some questions, my answer to you may be like, you know, we really don't know. There's really no way to know for sure. And that will bother you. And it did bother me at one point. But now, after going through that process, I understand that it's okay to understand that there are mysteries and gray in this life and in this universe. Some of you, you're like, nah, dude, that doesn't work for me. Like, I got to know. I have to figure it out. And that's absolutely, that's great. And you should continue to search. But if you're like me, hopefully that is encouraging and helpful to you, that it's okay to come full circle and not have an answer. So the first thing we said is we got to doubt doubts. We got to grow trust. And the last thing, we'll do this quickly, is we got to stay healthy. As you deal with doubt, you need to make sure that you are healthy. A, a pastor by the name of D.A. Carson, he wrote a book on doubt. And he lists 10 reasons or 10 sources of doubt. Where does doubt come from? And he says that number seven, the number seven, I don't think it's order of ranking or anything, but number seven of the sources of doubt, you know what he says? There's no way you would know what he says. That'd be really weird. But what he says is, number seven, the reason for doubt, one of the reasons for doubt is sleep deprivation. The reason people doubt is they're just not sleeping enough, and they're just too tired. You know, we believe we are a whole being, right? You're physical, 
You're spiritual, you're emotional, you're mental, you're all wrapped up in one. So if, as we struggle with doubt, it's so important that we stay healthy in those areas in order for us to deal with the doubt. And like, I totally get this. I'm gonna be honest with you guys, okay? And I talked about like my struggles, my theological struggles, but do you guys know, this is, like, this is gonna sound kind of like ridiculous, but this is true. Do you know when I doubted, one of the times where I doubted God the most? It was when my children were infants, and I was in their room in the middle of the night, and they are crying, and I'm doing this, doing this, trying to figure out every like version of the rocking that I could do to make them sleep, and they keep crying, and I'm praying to God, God, can you just make them sleep? I'm, I'm not even kidding you, right? And then they don't go to sleep, and I was like, God, why? Like, for real, I was like, I was like wondering, I was like really doubting God, like because I can understand there are situations that if you pray for something and something changes, then it could like have, have like ramifications like over here and over there. I was like, but this is just like a baby. And like if he sleeps, you're not really, you know, you're not really overriding his free will. It's like fine. He's just a baby, right? And, and if he sleeps, like big deal. It's not going to change kind of some butterfly effect and ruin something else. Like, God, why can't you just make him sleep? And I'm like doing this, and I was like really doubting God. When Miles was born and we had this experience, when Hazel was born, same thing. God, can you please, can you please just make him sleep? Are you even there? Are you even real? Do you even care? Right? It sounds ridiculous, but I had that moment where I was really doubting, and I realized now it's not because I was doubting. It's because I was sleep deprived. I was not well. I was not emotionally healthy. I was not mentally healthy. I was in a bad place, not sleeping. It was rough. And so in that place, doubts will arise. So when you have doubts and questions, you got to make sure that you are healthy in all the areas of your life, emotionally, spiritually, physically healthy, to deal and handle the questions and doubts that come through. It's so important that we understand this because there are some of you and I don't know who you are, but there are some people, you have doubts. But if you're really honest, your doubt is not coming from some kind of like rational brain academic place. There are some people, your doubts are not coming from reason and logic. Your doubt is coming from pain. There are some of you, your doubt is coming from a place of pain and suffering. Your, your doubt is coming from a place of trauma. There are some people, there are some of you who your doubt is coming because someone in the church hurt you. Maybe it was a pastor or a leader. There are some people who struggle to believe and have doubt, not because of what they think in their mind, but because of how they're broken and hurt and traumatized by the church. And if you're in that place, you have to understand where your doubt is coming from. Because no matter what, if you have the smartest, the best reasons for the, the truth with, with your question that addresses your questions and doubts, it's not going to make a difference because what you need is not information and reason. What you need is healing. So it's so important that as we deal with doubt, that we understand that we have to be healthy people to deal with the doubts and questions that we have. Make sure you're sleeping enough. Maybe that's really the reason why you're doubting. Maybe you're depressed and you have anxiety, and maybe what you need to do is not read the Bible more and think more and read articles and, and, and have, have debates and arguments. Maybe you need to go see someone. Maybe you need to come to my office and we got to talk and so I can just listen and you can share your story and share the pain in your life. Maybe you need to go find a Christian therapist or a Christian counselor so you can share this thing because what you really need is not truth and information but what you need is healing. 
Right? So, so as, as we deal with doubt, make sure that you're in a healthy place, physically and spiritually and emotionally and mentally, in order to deal with doubt, so that those doubts can then turn into sources of strength and growth for you in the future. So as we close, I just want to sum it up. What to do when you doubt? It's real simple. Number one, doubt your doubts. We live in a world that, that encourages doubting and skepticism. Why choose doubt? Take it captive. Bring it to God. Ask him questions. Deal with it within a spiritual community. Number two, grow trust. Trust is so important because we can't really trust ourselves to really know the answers and the truth when it comes. So grow trust. Hear and see the word of God. Hear and see what God is doing in other people's lives. And lastly, stay healthy. Take care of yourself, sleep, eat, exercise, talk to people, share your burdens. Don't feel like you have everything on your shoulders. If you're depressed, you have anxiety, you have to understand that this is where maybe your doubt is coming from. I hope that these, these little short little three teachings will help you in your struggle with doubt because they're going to come. And I would love to see doubt be a catalyst and an opportunity for growth and strength for you, not one of, of injury and pain. Now, if at the end of these two messages, you're like, thanks for the effort, Chris, but I don't think so. I don't know about that. A for effort. I appreciate that you took time, but this is not really convincing. This is not really compelling. I still have my doubts. I still have my questions, and I still have my issues. And I understand that if that's where you are, I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm so thankful that you're with us and engaging with us. If you're still in that place and you're like, I don't know, I still don't know what to do, I have a debilitating doubt that is preventing me from engaging with Jesus and leaning into the church and like going deeper in my faith, if that's you, that's what we're talking about next week. And that's what Pastor Jonathan is going to talk about to you. If you're in that place and you still have the doubts that are hanging on you and just like, oh, it's so hard, you just can't get past it, next week is the message for you because next week he's going to talk about how do you, do, how do you respond when you still can't get over your doubt. What are you supposed to do then? And so if that's you, I wanna encourage you to come back, invite you to come back. If that's you, please watch next week as Pastor Jonathan shares with us and as he closes our series in part three of our series on doubt. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, thank you, Lord, once again for bringing us to this place. You know, God, I just, I just really want this to be helpful for someone. I just really want this message series to kind of like, be one of those series that they think about later on in life. Like, man, you know, I struggled, but you know, I remember hearing this message, and I don't remember who preached it. I don't remember what it was called, but he said this, and that really helped me. I just, I just really hope that that's the moment. Not because we're trying to, uh, not because we're trying to grow the church, not because we're trying to, like, keep people in line, not because we want people to believe the same things. No, because I believe that faith and following you is the best way to live. And I just hope that there are people here in this place especially those with dealing with doubt and questions that are finding comfort in this message, that you do not rebuke us when we doubt, but you lean in and you meet us where we are and you encourage us to ask those questions and to struggle. But Father, you've laid out a way, a healthy way to deal with the doubt and questions in our lives. So Father, thank you so much for your words, for your encouragement, for your challenge today. In your name we pray, amen. <laughs>